How's it going, Irish fans? It is that time again, Locked On Irish Podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, the official Notre Dame podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Greg Schaefer, your lead host, as always. I am flying solo today. Hopefully you guys enjoyed having co-host Mark Hissom in, in the house yesterday, or at least on Google Hangouts. So, great show yesterday. We've got a big one today. I was listing off all the topics, and I'm like, I, I think we got all the shows for the week set up at this point. I mean, just when you think there's not enough news out there, you start listening around, you're doing a little research, and that's what makes this so nice is, you know, I have a real full-time job, and some people are like, isn't that like doing... No, it's not like doing another job. Not at all. You know, I do some research while I'm eating breakfast, and it's not even like research. It's like scrolling through my phone, reading what I normally do. So, yeah, we got a lot of big stuff coming your way, but before we get to that, make sure at Locked On Irish on Twitter, Facebook, anywhere you get your podcast apps. That's where to listen to us at. So start out with some announcements. Let's start out with this. I should have started with this yesterday during the Monday edition, but uh, Friday we're going to have a big, big guest joining the show Friday. And we're going to do the show a little bit different on Friday. The show won't be released till Friday evening, and I'm not sure how much Notre Dame content we're going to get in. I've talked to uh, people at the network, and... They've given us the green light to go ahead and do this show. I was going to do it on my my other project, East of the Bend Productions, but I've decided I'm going to do it. I, I offered it up. I asked um, Jay Soderberg, our executive producer. I said, "Hey, I've got this guest. Um, she's a you know I, I I'd almost consider her a friend at this point. Um, she's been really cool to me, and she's been on my show. And we're having her on again. We're going to do a show about um, the mental approach." of athletics and how things have changed at just the highest level. And uh, we're going to just talk, kind of preview the Super Bowl a little bit from somebody that's <laughs> more than in the know, um, would be willing to do it on the Locked On Network. What are your thoughts? And he said, hey, absolutely. Let's see, definitely have it on Locked On Irish. So with that said, Friday evening, we're going to be interviewing Michelle Tafoya, NBC Sunday Night Football uh, sideline reporter, uh, three-time Emmy winner, just a great, great individual. Um, I mean, she she's awesome. If you want to go back and check out one of our other shows, a little cross-promotion here for East of the Bend, go back and listen to our interview we did with us. Basically, they did with her uh, probably this time last year. She gave an incredible interview. Uh, just talked about her career and just the various things she did, you know, working her way up to where she's at now, and just just a great, great interview, and shared some awesome stories about people she's interviewed and different games she's covered and stuff like that. And she's the very best at what she does. It's, I know there's a lot of debate out there sometimes as far as what sideline reporters do and and in the job they do. And I actually was lucky enough to witness what Michelle does firsthand during a Sunday night game and. She works her butt off down there, and she is 100% the best there is at this job, in my opinion. And uh, so she's going to be joining us Friday. The interview will be about 6 o'clock. Should be anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes long. Uh, Of course, we'll have a show. Uh, Mark will be in the house. Uh, One of my new contributors to East of the Bend is going to hop on here at Locked on Irish, and she's going to... Um, do so, be a co-host as well. Her name's Amelia Hitchens. She's a she's my, my social media coordinator for East of the Bend. So she's going to hop in, and she's also a lifelong Notre Dame fan. Family's actually from South Bend, so no enemies we're bringing on the show here. All friends, all friendly, uh, friendly exchanges. So another Notre Dame fan in the mix, and uh, should be a great show. So that's that's number one as far as tomorrow's show goes. I will be 
out. Um, so Mark and Will will be carrying the torch for tomorrow's show. And Thursday's show, I don't know what they're going to talk about. It's it's hard telling what those two will be up to. Um, but I'll give them the keys to the car. I'll let them take it to town, and hopefully it comes back with at least a tire. I, I think I can trust them with that much. And Thursday's show, because what we're doing with Michelle on Friday, we'll be doing... Syracuse, it, the game's tomorrow night against Syracuse, so we'll run down the Syracuse game on Thursday, and then we'll do the Florida State preview right after that. So today's show, with that said, that was a mouthful, right? Today's show, we are going to talk about uh, pro football focus might have put a little bit of pressure on our offensive linemen by basically saying, or did they say, that we have the best offensive line in the country coming back? Hmm. Also, during the second segment today, we're going to talk do a little whip around on some of our opponents for next next season. Uh, there's been some news with a couple of our opponents, a few transfers. Also going to discuss a little bit this uh, transfer, or not necessarily transfer portal, but guys that are um, that have declared early. Uh, seems to, the number seems to go up year after year after year, and I'd love to know your guys' thoughts on the guys declaring early and potentially without a degree if they don't get drafted. And then the final segment, we'll be previewing the game against Syracuse tomorrow night. So the intro only took like five minutes there. So if you're still tuned in, oh, more power to you as I'm ranting there. But just figured it's our biggest guest, and uh, you know I didn't I didn't realize I talked that long. But hey, glad you're sticking with us, and it's going to be a great show on Friday. Great shows the rest of the week. Tell your friends. But let's start with this list. Pro Football Focus released their top 30 offensive linemen uh, returning in 2020, and this was an add-on to the uh, my show flow that I did for today. And the reason I did is because, believe it or not, Notre Dame has the most returning players, and one of them's not even listed. We have four of five guys on this list. That's huge. Huge. We talked about that with Mark yesterday, about how um, return the impact of returning five starters and how important that is, that continuity. It's tremendous. But this starting group is really just trying, I feel like, just now finding their legs. And... They did well against Iowa State. They did well down the stretch. We've uh, we've chronicled it to death. We almost need a new season to start already. So we have or just a spring game. But from what this is telling me, I mean, Pro Football Focus has a big time reputation. Kind of reminds me of when you see a lot. I mean, because when I first read this, I'm like, I don't know if I agree with that. And then you see the other players that are listed and then what other schools have brought back. And then it's like, okay, I kind of agree with it. But then I think of the comparison to, you know, you see a line in Vegas and you're like, they're so stupid. Why would they make that the line? Or why would they make that the over under or whatever the bet may be? And then you think to yourself like, well, there's a reason they can put up all those uh, nice lights and have so many parking lots and casinos out there. Cause they're pretty right. And I think of that this way with pro football focus, they have a lot of reputation, these guys are more right than they're not, and they they seem to be very impressed with our offensive line. Checking in at number thirty was Jarrett Patterson. Um, they said Patterson didn't didn't disappoint as a first year starting center. If you remember before the season, many people kind of had him rode off as that position would rotate. We'd cycle through guys. Hopefully, Patterson would rise to the challenge. And they said that he, not a single game this year did he allow multiple pressures. Ended up surrendering the seventh lowest pressure rate among centers in 2020. That uh, of centers returning coming up in 2020, it's incredible. I mean, that that's great. Um, I think those are the little things that go unnoticed to the kind of the casual fan, or even if you are an intense fan. How many people watch a football game? Even if you are a 
huge college football fan, no matter who you cheer for, and you just sit there and watch the center. Exactly. Uh, real quick, credit where credit is due. Anthony Treesh, uh, this is his article on profootballfocus.com, pff.com, if you're looking online. Number 28 surprised me out of the four of five listed uh, was Liam Eikenberg. Uh, and the reason I say that is because he's the third lowest out of the four listed. Eikenberg, I said, didn't allow a sack at left tackle this year, which is true. Um, solid across the board. You know, I think he was, pro- in my opinion, I thought he was our best lineman. I definitely thought he was our best lineman. They actually have him ranked above Alex Leatherwood, who's returning tackle for Alabama. Um, you know, just a really solid player. Really, really solid player. Uh, but they also discuss how between Leatherwood and Eichenberg, something to clean up, they had issues with penalties. Uh, 11 on the year, the third most for their position. That is something that has got to be cleaned up. That is fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals all day long. Got to clean that up. If you're going to be the leader on that offensive line, you have got to clean up. Uh, and there's no excuses. You have got to clean up those little things if you're going to be the leader and you're going to be the best. And I, I can about guarantee you that's why he's ranked uh, a little lower than anticipated. Uh, number 24 was Aaron Banks. Uh, Aaron Banks uh, started final six games of 2018, maintained that role all through 2019. That's per the article here. Uh, his 2.1% pressure rate allowed over the last two seasons at left guard is tied for seventh lowest in all of uh, FBS. Uh, they got a little video here of him just blowing up. I mean, they probably could have used a better example of an opponent. It's Bowling Green. Ugh. I, I would have liked to have seen a little better of an opponent there, but Banks is a monster, man. He's one of those guys that come in, and he's so big that, you know, there's very few guys that get to college, and they're so big that you have to get them to lose weight before they're like in game shape and Banks was one of them, but Banks with any sort of development is going to be a monster. So who was the highest ranked offensive lineman for Notre Dame on this list? Let's get to that right after this. All right, guys, locked on Irish podcast back at it again, going through this list on profootballfocus.com of the highest ranked lineman returning in 2020. And we had four guys on the list. And coming in at number 23. Now, all of our guys are 23 to 30. So it's kind of one of those things like, man, we got four on there, but they weren't ranked incredibly high, but we've got all four of them. And no other school has this many. So that's something you got going for us. Then it, you look at it, and I kind of was looking around, and Kentucky's actually got three guys on this list. But checking in at number 23, highest rated offensive lineman on our team, per this PFF article and highest um, is uh, uh, Robert Hainsey. Uh, Robert Hainsey, I didn't even know this, but over 1,800 snaps at right tackle. That's incredible. 1,800 snaps. And to me, that shows his durability. Um, It says he's, um, since the start of 2018, Hainsey has allowed the third lowest pressure rate at right tackle amongst any returners. That is insane just the durability and just shown just that being an anchor down there. Now you may notice one guy not listed is Tommy Kramer. And the reason I find that interesting is prior to last season, I mean, and Tommy played pretty good this year. He was a little dinged up toward the end. But the thing about it is, is like, could we, if he would have had a better year, did we get all five of our linemen on this list? Would that have happened? I would have, I'd love to hear from you guys. What do you think of our offensive line coming back next year? We talked about all five and the impact coming back. 
uh, all five of them coming back. We talked about that yesterday, but what are your thoughts on this list? Uh, hit us up on um, Twitter at Locked On Irish. Let us know because I'm telling you, this with any kind of evolvement of any kind and, and just improvement across the board, if they could all take their think of like Madden ratings, if they could get a couple more points. You know, I know this is fake. This is fantasy land, but run with me here. If they could get like a couple more rating points on their games. I mean, is this the best offensive line that Coach Kelly's ever had, especially with the seniority on there? And then, I, of course, on the flip side of that, it also makes me think about 2022 or 2021 and what kind of step backward are we going to take after losing most of these guys. Uh, so that's extremely interesting, and uh, it makes me very hopeful for next year that, albeit we'll have younger running backs, we have more speed back there, and the involvement of our running game. I mean, our offense could essentially lean on the running game by a, some by somebody named not uh, Ian Book. So, some uh, some food for thought for uh, till tomorrow's show. But uh, wanted to whip around here and some news coming from a few tr- guys transferring. And we thought Derek King. We talked about him transfer from Houston. Just an insane numbers when he was at Houston. Insane. I mean, you just look at it. I have his numbers up right here. It's last season. He accounted for well over 3,000 total yards, 2,900 passing yards. He had 14 TDs on the ground, 36 through the air. If my math's correct, it's 50. Only six interceptions, a uh, long run of 79 yards. So he's got some wheels on him. Last season was a little ouchy, and just the season wasn't going well. And we seen kind of something unprecedented where it was like he essentially said, I'm going to redshirt myself, and I'm going to come back next year when we're better. Talk about selling out on your team. I mean, that's an argument for another day. But even in that time frame when he played, he had 663 yards passing, six touchdowns, pretty efficient, only uh, only threw two picks. His completion, completion percentage was significantly down from where it was. He was just over 50%, 312 yards rushing, six touchdowns. And the reason I'm bringing him up is Lockdown Irish is always going to make sure that we have the opponents for the next season in mind and we keep you guys as updated as possible. Everything I read and was hearing was that he was going to head to Arkansas until yesterday, uh, Sunday, till Sunday, and then it was a done deal. He's going to Miami, and this has been one of the most awkward, interesting, unique transfer things I've ever seen in my life because, first off, he's sitting out the year because the team's bad, essentially. He didn't finish his senior year because... Well, the team's bad. I'll just take a red shirt. And then he swore up and down he was coming back. And then the uncle or somebody comes out and says he's transferred. And it's back and forth and back and forth. And then it's all these indications. Then all of a sudden he is transferring. He's leaving. That's pretty much a done deal at this point, which was news because everybody he said he was coming back. Then what I was hearing last week was Arkansas. It's our week two opponent home opener. Okay. Kind of made things just a hair more interesting. But Arkansas, not very good. I don't think De'Eric King makes a huge difference. In fact, I'm not sure Houston is to Arkansas is a step up. Then I hear that he's going to Miami yesterday. And why is that? And I looked around, and the favorite now, I guess there's a chance he's still taking a visit to Arkansas. But the favorite now to go to Arkansas is Felipe Franks. That's the reason I bring all this up. Yeah, that Felipe Franks. Felipe Franks that went to Florida. So that's definitely interesting. Six foot six, big guy, man. Never really could put it all together in the big games, though. 
just didn't really have it in the big games. I mean, you go through incredible passing statistics. I mean, he's thrown for almost 5,000 yards, only played in four games last year before an injury. Um, not not a great threat on the ground, but like all quarterbacks in 2019, 2020, the guy's mobile, very mobile in the pocket, can move around back there, can definitely get you a first down when things break down. But, you know, had a, had a pretty good year in 2018. You know, he had holds wins over South Carolina, Florida State, granted a bad Florida State, but then he beat up on Michigan in a game they only threw for 173 yards, but they they knocked Michigan off the field. Pretty depleted Michigan. But you look, and it's just like he never really could get over the hump in, like, bigger games. They lost to Georgia. Uh, you know, first year or second year, uh, at, well, first year as a starter, uh, got beat by Florida State. Only had four wins as a starter his first year. Uh, and those wins are Tennessee, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, UAB. Uh, so it looks like his time is done in Florida. And he is in the transfer portal. He's been in there for a few weeks. So going to Arkansas, very interesting. Because that team, they are not good right now. I mean, I don't even know another way to just respectfully describe it because I do have a lot of respect for the Arkansas program, the time that Houston Nutt was there. And, and they have had some good, good years. You look back at the old Southwestern Conference, but they are just in a terrible place to try to rebuild. There's not a lot of in-state talent. So they're trying to compete with the same competition. You know, the Alabama's going for the same kids. You got LSU going for the same kids. You got Auburn going for the same kids. It's that SEC West is ridiculous to try to rebuild in. Now you add in Lane Kiffin and whatever value that has to Ole Miss, chuck in Mike Leach, the pirate, into Washington State or from Washington State into Mississippi State. And good luck coming back. Like I said yesterday, I think I've said it a couple times, they ranked 106th in their class last season, their recruiting class. And I just don't see them getting too much better right away. Now, does Felipe help? I, I mean, I'm sure. Nothing's going to hurt at this point. Uh, Starkle's transferring. Nick Starkle, um, three-star guy. He started at Texas A&M. I mean, this transfer stuff's out of control. He starts at Texas A&M, then spends two years at Arkansas. It's a total disaster there. Then... He moves on to, looks like San Jose State is what I'm reading. San Jose State. Of course, San Jose State did beat Arkansas, so was that basically like a recruiting trip for Starkle? <laughs> I have no idea. It's times like these when we talk about teams like Miami, talk about teams like Arkansas. Big, well, Arkansas, I wouldn't say is a big of a brand name as Miami, but you got a big state school. You know, then you got... um. You got Miami, the U. Uh, we mentioned Florida State a little bit ago. Uh, just the disasters that these schools are right now, it makes me feel pretty good to be a Notre Dame fan sometimes. I got to be honest with you. Like, I look at stuff like that, and I know that we shouldn't be comparing it that way. However, we could it, it could be a lot worse as I stutter along here. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. I'm sitting here looking at a 2-10 Arkansas team who just got the pants beat off of them by about everybody last year. I mean, we're talking Western Mich Western Kentucky, 45 to 19, uh, San Jose State, 31 to 24. Pick a school, and they got drubbed by them. Only two wins, Portland State and Colorado State. Ooh. Now, if you're a fan of kind of quasi-related here, if you with the little bit of talent this team does have. If you're a fan of the show Last Chance You, you might remember a running back named Raheem Boyd 
Uh, he came from EMCC, uh, part of, I think it was season two. He is the running back. He's ran, ran for 1,100 yards last year, eight touchdowns, a little bit of a threat out of the backfield as well, 160 yards receiving, no touchdowns. But something to keep an eye on. When we do their preview next year, he's been at Arkansas now for two years. He's almost ran for 2,000 yards. So one tiny, this little bit of a bright spot for Arkansas because I'll tell you what, right now it's it's not looking very promising. So let's get to some other news about guys going to the NFL and get some thoughts on that right after this. There's a new record in college football, and that new record would be the amount of underclassmen who have declared for the 2020 draft. And that number is 111 underclassmen have declared for this year's 2020 draft. That's eight up from last year. Um, 103 last year. That comes from uh, Dustin Schutt from uh, SaturdayTradition.com. It's a Big Ten article. I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, in 2017, total didn't crack 100. He said they were at 95. Uh, and this is uh, guys that have eligibility left, but they're declaring early for the NFL draft. Um, the draft does take place on the 23rd through the 25th of April. Man, I can't wait till that. That is sneaking up, sneaking up. But Mar- we got March Madness. We got all kinds of things going on. So I guess don't don't rush it. But man, I, what do you guys think it is? Why are all these guys going early? Is it because of the shelf life of players? Are they getting bad advice? That's the one thing I wonder because there's only seven rounds in the draft. Um, does the XFL have anything to do with it? Where these guys are kind of, you know, they're in a situation they don't necessarily fall in love with the school. Something we're not used to. All right, you got to take Notre Dame blinders off sometimes. We expect everybody that comes on campus at Notre Dame, and this is very much the case. Guys commit to Notre Dame for a different reason. I don't disagree with that, though I wish we could get some of those guys in there that do use this as a football factory, but facts are facts. That's not the case. I think some of those guys could help us, but it's a discussion for another day. However... Some of these guys, they don't have the ties to the school or whatever it is. I don't know what it is they leave early. Maybe they're just done playing football for free and they're testing the waters. But I hope, I hope that these guys aren't leaving because they're getting bad advice. And you know it's happening to some of them. These aren't, I'm not going to speak in absolutes. It's happening to some of them. I'll guarantee it. They're being told just like they were in high school, how good they were or how good they are. And, you know, go out here, look good in shorts and a t-shirt and, and, you know, you, yeah, you didn't have the numbers in school. And I know you're a little young because you're coming out early. Probably could have went back. But, man, just get out there at the Combine or your pro day and you'll woo these guys. Well, then seven rounds goes by. You don't have your degree because you left early. And here you sit wondering what you're going to do. Again, I do wonder if the XFL has anything to do with that. And as far as the degree part goes, I don't bag on them too much because I know I don't know of any of the schools that aren't letting these guys come back. They're not eligible to play anymore but they're eligible to come back and go finish up school and get their degree. So good news for them. However, it's just interesting. This number just keeps going up and up and up. Would love to hear your guys' opinions at Lockdown Irish on Twitter. Let me know what you think. It, is it because they're just bad advice? Is Are they trying to make some money? I mean, I don't blame them with the shelf life that football players have, but you also don't want to just go pro just to go pro. And then all of a sudden you're sitting there without a job and you're, you can't play football at all anymore because, again, all seven rounds went by and the phone never rung. So should be interesting. See how many of these guys do get drafted. See how many of these guys can latch on to teams. 
Um, I wish that college would clean it up. I know in the in NCAA basketball, the NBA, if you don't get drafted, you can come back. And I think in baseball, it's something similar to that. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I just don't know. I know it's probably a quick Google search, but nah, I'll let you guys figure it out. But football is one of the only ones right now, I believe, that you can't, once you don't get drafted, that's just it. And I kind of wish that was the case. If they didn't get drafted, they could come back. I know why they don't. Scholarship numbers and, you know, the wonder of trying to meet a certain mark. But maybe they need to increase the scholarship limit to like 87 and give these guys an opportunity to come back. And then, you know, the coach gets paid millions of dollars. The players don't. Put that decision on them at that point. They have to make that decision once the guy declares for the draft if he can get that scholarship back or not. Be interested to see what you guys think. I know there's a solution out there. We just got to figure it out, just like all of college football. All right, guys. Tomorrow night we have Irish basketball. Irish are back on the hardwood. 7 p.m. tip-off taking on the Syracuse Orange for the second time in about, what, two weeks this time we're back at home, back at the Joyce. Syracuse comes in 11-7. and seven. Since we last seen them, they've beaten Virginia Tech, UVA, and BC. Their loss was to Virginia Tech right after our game with them. Um, we, you know, we had that epic just firefight shootout. Um, and then the next game, they also went out and lost to Virginia Tech. So they kind of hit a little bit of a schneid there. But their record right now, believe it or not, is good enough for fourth in the ACC, which is huge, huge. huge. I know we're eleven and six; they're sitting there at eleven and seven. But where they're sitting as far as rankings in the ACC, and granted, we have a whew, we have a long way to go before tournaments or even thinking about anything like that. But for seeding purposes, that is extremely important. Talking about who plays on the first day, second day, who gets the double buys, things like that, um, insanely important in that perspective. So, again, since we've seen our friends from the Carrier Dome, they lost 67-63 to Virginia Tech, and then they since avenged that loss on the road. I don't know what's up with them not playing well at home at the Carrier Dome. It used to be such a home court advantage, but they had back-to-back losses at home, you know, of course, to us in that crazy game, and then back Virginia Tech comes in. But uh, they've, they're playing some of their best basketball right now, in my opinion. They have a win over Virginia. It was a big win for them. Um, we all know how tough that Virginia defense is, and, and Virginia played them tough, but it wasn't typical Virginia tough. I mean, they gave up 63 points, uh, lost 63-55. Syracuse played uh, Boston College on January 15th and literally just ran them out of the gym up at the Carrier Dome. Uh, and then they got their revenge uh, revenge on uh, Virginia Tech down in Blacksburg. Uh, what was that? That would have been Saturday. I believe that was Saturday afternoon. 71-69, so they are playing a couple games. You know, They played Virginia Tech close and UVA close, but the bottom line is they came out with wins. And if I were to guess right now, my give you my thoughts right now on how this team is playing um, compared to us, I think they're playing better than us right now. I think they're finding another gear. Um, they're definitely finding the three-point shot. Now, they've not hit as many threes as they had, did against us. They were 15-31, of but Buddy Beheim. He's heating up. Uh, I mean, in the last five games, he's hit nearly a third of his threes on the season. Uh, hit seven against us. He's had uh, 14 in the last four games. Um, but he's heating up, and that really gives um, Elijah Hughes and just another running, uh, just a you know a, a Robin, if you will, a, a second to go to. I mean, Buddy's averaging 16.2 points a game at this point. 
Uh, Elijah Hughes, he's the heart and soul of this team, still averaging 19.3. Um, they're, they're playing tough. They are. They're playing tough, and you know that Jim Beheim's going to have them good to go, that we're going to see the um, – we're going to see the zone defense again, which we seem to handle pretty well the first time around, but we also hit our shots, and that's what we need. We need consistent play tomorrow night. We have got to have consistent play, or th- they will beat us. You know, the, the Joyce isn't necessarily home court advantage for us right now. It, it's really not. We have to win any way we can. I know we all feel good about the Georgia Tech win, but let's be real. That win feels better than what it actually was. That was an 8-9 and nine Georgia Tech team. We've got to play better. And this is this is an opponent that mirrors us. We have a couple talented guys in Mooney and Hub. We have some nice pieces. They have Bayheim and Hughes. And they have some nice pieces in Gerard and um, uh, Sidibe and uh, Gurrier off the bench. You know, Gurrier tr- contributes a tremendous amount to them as far as energy and gets, you know, double digits off the bench, and that that's great. Um, but they run a short bench. They only played seven guys against us. We actually played eight, uh, and Jogu got his, you know, his whole minute out there. But, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, we mirror one another. We are very much like them outside of the fact that they are so stuck on their zone, and that's just Bayheim. That's just how he plays. Um, you know, I don't know if we can duplicate the effort that we got. And, and that's why I, I double sigh there. I'm just looking back at the numbers. You know, Hub had 22, Gibbs 21, Mooney 28. I will say, though, if we get into another firefight with them, um, I like our chances. I really do. They, we have, I feel like our entire lineup, for the most part, uh, well, I shouldn't say our entire lineup. That was poor. That was poorly stated. Let me try again. I feel like that our three-point shooters are better than theirs. Hub, Gibbs, Mooney, Goodwin. If they are on, I feel like we have more of them than they do. I know Gerard hit four, Hughes hit three, Bayheim hit seven, but I'm not sure that I have faith in them to do it again. I, I don't think they can pull that off again. Um, you know, if we're both missing, uh, if it's kind of a grinded-out game, I see Syracuse taking this one. Bottom line is we have got to be on tomorrow night. We've got to be able to hit some threes. We have to come out of this game. Last game we went 15-31 from three. Both teams went 15-31. I think it's going to take a near 50% shooting um, from behind the arc to win this game. We That's what we have to do. We have to be sharp. We have to move the ball around against the zone. It's, we can create open looks. We can create it off inbound plays. We can create it off our ball movement. And then I want to see Hub and Gibbs continue to attack. That is what pushed that game over the edge between Hub and Gibbs hitting some big threes toward the end of the game against Georgia Tech and then them not being afraid, just taking off that cloak of whatever, that cloak of I don't know if I can drive or not, uh, just shed that jacket off there and just go play your heart's out. You have got to get this done tomorrow night because this is another one of those probably, what do they say, there's what, four tiers I think or this would be like a tier two win. And this would be incredible for seeding moving forward. And let me just tell you, the schedule don't get no easier. It does not get any easier. I mean, you look what it looms ahead. It, I mean, I'm, I've, I've pretty much put the tournament out of my mind. I, I'm thinking NIT at this point, but I'm also a, am trying to be optimistic because I want to see March basketball from Notre Dame. Well... It's quick turnaround, let's just put it that way, as we get ready to play Florida State this weekend. We'll play Florida State again on Saturday, get a little reprieve next Wednesday with Wake Forest, 
Then Georgia Tech comes to the Joyce on February 1st, and then we get Pitt on February 5th. If we can go, let's see, 4-1 and one in that stretch, which is entirely possible because I don't see us beating Florida State at Florida State. They are, in my opinion right now, I think Florida State's the best team in the ACC. I really do. They're long. They're athletic. They're well-coached. They are due to get over the hump. I really do think they're due to get over the hump. But if we can find a way to go 4-1, and one, or let's say 4-2 and two before Virginia, we go to Clemson on September 9th, that would put us at 15 and 8. 15 and 8 with how many games left? 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And have to get us 5 and 3. I, it's possible. It's possible. But it, I mean, we can look ahead because we're podcasters. We're people out there yelling at podcasters because they suck. Haha. Ha. Um, we're, <laughs> we're people that disagree with other people on TV. We're, we're fans. We're whatever. If you're listening to this, we can look ahead. They cannot. It all starts tomorrow night in South Bend. They have got to take care of business. They've got to be up in shooters' faces. Because let me tell you, Buddy Beheim may not be the best three-point shooter in the land, but he's hot enough right now that if we're not going to get in his face, then uh, it's going to get late early, as they say. They will take us out if we come out flat. This game will be over by halftime. Their zone's too good when they're when they're on. Their their zone's too good. If they get too big of a lead and we're just off and we can't penetrate and score or we're not getting open looks and we're actually turning the ball over because that's one thing Syracuse has done in their last um last four games since they played us is they have less turnovers than their opponents. I believe even in their losses. Let me get it real quick here before we get out of here for the day. Uh, it's yeah. Even in the loss to Virginia Tech in their last four, they're like I said, they're three and one, but they have less turnovers than their opponents in all games except for the Boston College game, which didn't matter because they won by twenty six. So they have even against us, we're the, supposedly the best you know team taking care of the ball, assist to turnover ratio. They had less turnovers against us than we did. So no, I take that back. I apologize. They have eleven. This is this statistic box score is all over the place. I don't, I'm never using this site again. I don't want to bash any sites, so I won't mention who it is. But um, yeah, they had eleven. We had eight. So we did have less than them. But in every other game, for the most part, you know they're taking care of the ball. They're doing well taking care of the ball, and we have got to live up to that because that's what's keeping us in games where we might be under talented in some areas then this is what's keeping us in games with our lack of athleticism and the lack of bench to support, you know, being able to run with teams with just run up and down the floor all day, all game long because our guys are playing all the minutes every night. So that wraps up the show today, guys. Make sure you're following us out there on Twitter, Facebook, at Locked on Irish. we got big shows happening this week. Mark and Will will be in tomorrow. We'll see what they have have to talk about Thursday. We'll talk about that that Syracuse game and uh, preview Florida State for Saturday. And then Michelle Tafoya, Sunday Night Football, NBC Sunday Night Football reporter, will be on with us on Friday. So till tomorrow, go Irish.